Well, you can go ahead and have a seat as you do. Uh, I would ask or encourage you to go ahead and find a Bible, take that out, and uh, you can begin making your way to the very end of the book of Acts. Uh, Many of you um, have been here and a part of this series for a long time. Some of you have joined us along the way. And uh, it's been a, uh, just a fun, fun journey for us together. Um, we're going to get to Acts chapter uh, 28 in uh, just a minute. Uh, I want to begin by kind of answering a question that many of you have asked over the last couple of weeks as we've been approaching the end of Acts, uh, a question that I've gotten many times is, so where are we going next? What are we, what are we studying next? Where are we, where are we going to be in God's Word? And we love God's Word here at City on a Hill. We, um, it is a very central part of uh, certainly our service. Um, it is uh, something that is central to who we are as a church. We submit ourselves, put ourselves under the authority of God's word. We um, enjoy opening the pages of scripture and hearing what God has for us here and what he's uh, teaching us for uh, these days. And so, um, yeah, so it's a good question. I love that you're asking that and wanting to know where we are uh, going next. So here's where we're going next is um, in July, as we head into uh, that month for those five Sundays, we're going to be kind of jumping around a little bit. Um, I have done this a couple times, and uh, it served us well as a church. Um, But in the month of July for the first four Sundays, I'm going to be out of the pulpit. Um, I'll still be worshiping here and around and um, uh, very much working, although I will uh, squeak in a little bit of vacation. Um, But as we move to these uh, five uh, uh, services um, at 10 a.m., we are going to have some guest preachers that are going to come in. So the first is not a guest to us. These are our own uh, Pastor Jeff will be on July 3rd, and that's actually going to be, um, uh, I think we forgot to mention this in the announcements, and it's my fault, uh, but we're doing a family service next week on July 3rd. So just the nursery will be open, preschool and elementary will be, um, the kids will be joining us, so it's kind of all together, all the family, all all in this. We'll have some sort of treat after the service. Um, I know that's uh, in the works, but Pastor Jeff will be preaching. And then we have some great guest preachers lined up. And so what I don't want you to think is that, um, you know, we're kind of phoning it in for the month of July and we're going to kind of take the month off. We've got some great preachers. So Pastor Ron Zappia is going to be with us on July 10th. Um, Bob Carlton, who's the director of one of the networks that we are a part of, is going to be with us on the uh, 17th. He's going to be bringing some updates and just kind of sharing a little bit about what's happening um, not just around the region, but um, uh, even internationally, of kind of what, what has been happening in and through the network, um, the churches that we partner with. And then um, a good friend of mine, and he's preached with us before, is uh, Pastor A.J. Reynolds. Um, he's down from uh, Monmouth, Illinois, will be coming and preaching. So all of, um, all of these uh, guys that are coming in, are, I'm very excited to hear from. And, and um, so I would just, yeah, encourage you, be here for that. Um, I've given them kind of, I said, they're like, you know, what, what am I? supposed to preach on? I said, just, you know, preach on something that's really good. You know, feed our church and, you know, bring a great sermon. So um, preachers love that because then they can really, yeah, they're not like boxed in and, and feel feel constricted. So it should be um, should be great. And then, um, yeah, my family will be on, we taking a little bit of vacation uh, during that time. It gives us a chance to just kind of catch up um, uh, on projects around the church, just different things that are, you know, been piling up or other things that um, this isn't the only thing I do. So get a, get a chance to do some other other things, and then um, I will be taking, and I'll kind of mention as it gets closer, uh, I did this um, last year. Again, it just kind of served us well as a church, but just a, a study week where really seek the Lord um, uh, 
personally, uh, just for uh, my own heart and just connecting with the Lord and hearing from the Lord, but then also just seeking the Lord on, on behalf of our church. And last year, one of the things that came out of that was um, uh, just that need and kind of call to prayer. And so we spent the entire month of August last year and focused on prayer. And so um, I got a couple ideas for where we're going in August and then in the fall series. Um, uh, but uh, that's what that week is for, is just to kind of seek the Lord on that. And so in September, we will jump back into a, um, a fall sermon series and, and kind of walk our way through um, through another book. That's what we like to do around here. Not always as long of books as Acts. Um, this has been one of our longer ones. But as a church, I was actually looking back, and, and we've gone through the book of Philippians. We've gone through the book of Colossians. We've gone through uh, Jonah. Uh, we went through Nehemiah. We've gone through First and Second Thessalonians. We've gone through now Acts. Um, we spent um, a summer going through the first 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs. Um, I know I'm leaving some out. We've, we've gone through just a number of books together as a church, and that's what, the way that we're going to continue to do that. And, um, and so we will um, yeah, most likely be in one of, uh, one of the letters, uh, the epistles in the New Testament in the fall is where I kind of anticipate that going. Uh, we've been in narrative for a long time, a lot of, lot of story. And so um, we will uh, maybe look at one of these letters written to the churches that we just uh, studied uh, in all of that. Well, uh, this morning, uh, as I said, we are going to wrap up our study in the book of Acts. And uh, some of you received and have been bringing with you those uh, Acts journals. And I hope by now that there's some good notes and some markups there, not just from um, the time that we've spent together here, but even of your own study. I, I hope that um, that served um, served you and has been a great tool, um, but here as we get to those final pages and the um, final lines in this uh, book, we have uh, for um, nine, almost ten months now, we have walked through all of this. We've seen and studied every single page in the book of Acts, and we have seen it um, fully. My hope is that as we've done that, uh, that we have gotten a good sense of uh, the message and the meaning and, and the story of what God has done uh, in the beginning of the church. That is what Acts is. Uh, you've heard this uh, kind of said many times over the last several months, but just to remind us as we finish up, uh, Jesus said these words to his followers. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as you go, he's like, tell people about me and who I am and what I've done, and share and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And that has now happened. So we've been following these last several weeks, following Paul and his ministry um, at the tail end of his ministry. And um, he's been uh, confronted, uh, been falsely accused. He's been um, tried. Uh, he would have been set free, except uh, in all of the uh, kind of accusations and the way that the Jews were treating him, he appealed to Caesar. And so now he's making his way toward Rome. And last week we saw that there was a storm that kind of delayed the journey and uh, prevented them from going further. There was a shipwreck and... Uh, as God promised, Paul and all those, all 276 who were on the ship, made it alive uh, to an island. And they're going to find out when they get there that they are on the island called Malta. And so that's where we're picking it up uh, this morning. And what I'd love to do is just kind of give us two words that I think kind of sum up and wrap up what we see and where I think uh, where I think. Uh, uh, 
Paul really wants to um, uh, um, land for us. We're, we're calling this, the sermon this morning the Unstoppable Gospel. Uh, the series has been unstoppable. We're seeing that the gospel is unstoppable. But here's the two words that I think uh, we uh, should carry with us as we um, wrap up this series together. It's this. It's confidence and boldness. Confidence and boldness. I think as we've seen played out in the life of the church and in the followers of Jesus Christ, that we have seen um, displays of both confidence and boldness together. But this is something that is just so indicative of Paul's ministry at the end. And I think the two are related, right? When you have confidence, it's, it's easier to be bold um, in your boldness. And as you see God working through the boldness, it inspires and kind of you know, increases the confidence that we then have in the power of the gospel. And so we're going to see these two words um, uh, played out. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and just jump into it uh, this morning, uh, beginning in Acts chapter 28, um, verse 1. I want to read um, just a section of this together to, to just kind of set uh, where we're going this morning. It says this, After we were brought safely through, when we learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Kind of a you know, cool little picture there. They get to the island, meet the natives, and they make them a fire, right? So when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, just kind of question, this, this doesn't really enhance our, our, our understanding of this, but just for my own curiosity, I have this memory of this on a flannel graph. Does anyone else... First off, do you know what a flannel graph is? Anyone else would be bold enough to say, like, you, do you remember this from a flannel graph, either that you saw or, or like, taught? Or Yeah, there's a few hands. Flannel graphs, for those of you who are totally lost, is uh, little felt, um, uh, pieces of felt with pictures kind of printed or kind of saved on them. And that was the, like, teaching method of choice in Sunday school classes everywhere. And so if you came to Sunday school, you would, it, there was no projectors, no TVs, nothing, none of that. This is, like, pre-even overheads. Like, this is, this is, like, this is, this is how the Bible was taught for a long time, flannel graph. And so they would put up you know, teachers would put up little cloth pictures. And I have this vivid memory of this. I'm pretty sure it was Paul with like this snake hanging off of his hand. And that was, that made the cut for the flannel graph uh, printing. I just, I find that fascinating. So I'm glad that some of you remember that as well. So this snake came out of the fire, fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. They're like, you know, fate or whatever it might be has it out for this guy is their, their assumption. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune had come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So swing the pendulum a little bit on that one. They're like, man, this guy must have killed somebody. Uh, obviously, he just survived a shipwreck only to be killed by a snake. And then he doesn't die. So they're, they're, they're thinking that he has got something uh, going on. Well, God used the ministry there on this island. 
Notice what happens next. Now in the neighborhood of that place, there were lands belonging to the chief man um, whose name was Publius, and they received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And to kind of sum up what happens next is his dad um, uh, was sick with fever, and he, Paul goes to the house, heals him. The many on the island heard about it, and they start coming, and so diseases and, and infirmities were being cured and healed, and God was using them. And so for three months, they wintered there, and God was using Paul for ministry there on the island of Malta. And when they were about to sail, the people put whatever they needed on board, and they took off and uh, kind of make it through a number of cities. And they finally came, verse 16, when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so Paul has finally made it to Rome. It's been a long time coming. Uh, he's been waiting for this. You know, the book of Romans begins with, with him writing. That was a letter that he wrote before he had ever traveled to Rome. And he said in the book of Romans, he says, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that you will be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he wanted to come. He wanted to, to share and encourage the believers there. He wanted to share the gospel with those who hadn't heard. And so finally, Paul made it to Rome. Notice what happens. Let's just kind of continue with the story, see what happens here. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he kind of explained the situation. So these are the Jewish people. He said, brothers, though I had done nothing to our people or the customs of our fathers, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He's like, the whole reason I'm here is because I have hope, I have a message, I have, I have good news to tell you. You are my brothers, you are my people, uh, I am a Jew like you, and I am here to tell you that the Messiah has come. Right, And so they said to him, verse 21, We have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers have come here and reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. And with regard to the sect that we know that everywhere it is spoken against. They have heard of the people of, um, of Jesus that are following this Jesus of Nazareth. They've heard about the way. Uh, they know about these Christians, as they were now called. And, and so they desired to know, well, what is this? How does this intersect with our faith? And so this is exactly what Paul did. When they had pointed a day for him, they came to his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed, right? Some believing, some not. After Paul made this statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to you, your fathers, to your fathers, that through Isaiah the prophet, this is what he quotes, he quotes Isaiah. He says, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Paul, as we have seen in the uh, last several weeks, has grown increasingly frustrated with his people. Like, 
Jesus said, you know, take the, the, the gospel, take this news of who I am to Jerusalem first. And so that's what they did. They went to God's people. And everywhere that Paul went, he would go to the synagogue and he would proclaim to the Jewish people. And he says, listen, the Messiah that we've been waiting for so long has come. His name is Jesus. And he came and he died. He paid that, 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 that sacrifice that we've done for generations, that, that day of atonement that um, is so significant for us where we understand and we know that God takes away the sins, our sins, uh, through the death of an animal has now been paid in full by the Lamb of God, his own son, and his name is Jesus. And, and we are called to, to, to believe in him and be saved and to follow him. And there is hope in this message. And at every time... Uh, there was many that disbelieved, that refused to accept this, uh, this message that he was carrying uh, with him. And so here you have, again, at the end of his ministry, he's like, listen, I need to take it to those who will listen. I'm going to bring this message to the gospel. And look what happens next, verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And this is how the book of Acts ends for us. We see Paul under what we uh, often refer to as house arrest. Uh, he's kind of living. Uh, he can't really go anywhere. He's still sort of in chains, so to speak. He has a, um, you know, a guard over him. He has to uh, stay there. Um, tradition would say, we, this is, we don't really know exactly uh, kind of the timing or the exact way. Uh, scripture doesn't record for us his, his death, but tradition says that um, after this, uh, his accusers needed to come to Rome to actually stand and be a part of trial. Well, um, the assumption is that they never showed. And so he was released and, and set free um, only to be imprisoned again, uh, to be accused again, and to be headed under the rule of Nero. And so he died by execution because of the gospel. But this here, when he's in uh, this house arrest, when he's in prison, he is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So here's where I think we see both confidence and boldness. And here's what I, I believe God has for us this morning. It's this. Uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. With all confidence, we are called to know that God can remove every hindrance to the gospel. With all confidence, confidence we can know that God can remove every hindrance to the gospel. I love this last chapter because it shows all the ways that the gospel is not stopped. How many times has God said in different ways through both an angel, through a vision, through um, uh, uh, speaking to uh, Paul that he was going to make it to Rome, that he was gonna bring the gospel to Rome. And here we see that the gospel is not stopped. The gospel is good news. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are many things that would stand in the way to prevent Paul from bringing it to Rome and to proclaim it there. And yet notice that none of them stand up. The gospel can be not st is not stopped by a storm, right? We saw that last week. This storm came up and we said God was present in the storm and all the people were safe. And so the storm was not enough to stop the gospel. The gospel was not stopped by the snake, I mean, Paul had a viper hanging off of his arm. Some of you, that, this is like, this, that's what nightmares are made of. 
Like this is like your least favorite verse that we've studied in the book of Acts. You are not, uh, not a fan of snakes. We said at the beginning of our study that some of the verses in scripture are descriptive. Others are prescriptive. This would be one that is descriptive, okay? It's telling us what happened. Some churches read this and think that that's prescriptive. If you ever go to the church and there's like snakes involved, just leave, okay? Don't, don't wait for, you know, a, a, a song or something, you know, a transitional moment. Just get up and go, okay? Because they're reading their Bibles wrong. That's not a, a prescriptive go and do. This is a, this is what happened. And so Paul had faith. He trusted God. He God used that to bring and soften the hearts of the people. So even the snake, which they thought was going to take Paul's life, ended up being an avenue to the gospel for Paul. Um, it doesn't say here, but for sure he convinced them otherwise, that, that he was not a god. In fact, he knew the god and that they could too. And we see that the gospel was not stopped by a snake. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to us, that the gospel was not stopped by a snake. You see, uh, the enemy has been trying uh, since the beginning of time to thwart the plans of God. And the pages of scripture begin with the enemy coming to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent. And he led them to believe, uh, or disbelieve rather, in the words of God. And what he thought as he was doing was that he was corrupting and destroying God's good plan for men and women. And for a season, that is indeed what happened. Sin entered the world. We talked about that last week. This world is broken. But, but the enemy's plan did not, did not stop the plans of God. God has used the sin of this world and the brokenness to put on display his son and his glory and his love and his righteousness and his grace and so the plans of the enemy, the plans of the snake have been long trying to thwart the plans of God, and yet they do not. And then even you see that the chains that Paul is in do not prevent him from being able to share the gospel. In fact, it gives him a platform. He, well, I mean, how, how perfect of a setup is it? Like he's under this house arrest. He still is able to have uh, people come and to uh, visit him. And it says that he, he had a great number of Jews that came to that place and heard the gospel. And so even the chains were not a hindrance to it. And I love the, that last verse. It says that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without hindrance. Listen, church, we can have confidence as we share the gospel that God is able to clear and to remove and to take away any hindrance that would stand in the way. I think we have to look no further for an example than the life of Paul himself. I mean, Paul is an example of a hindrance that was then transformed and then used to advance the gospel and I love there's like, Luke kind of includes this, this, this bookend for us in the book of Acts. Can I show you something? Um, take your, uh, you can leave your finger there in Acts 28, but if you flip back in your Bibles all the way to the first page of Acts, I'd love for you to see this for yourself. In Acts chapter one, I'll give you a second to get there. Acts chapter one, let's remind ourselves of where this all began. Luke chapter 
or uh, Acts chapter one, Luke is writing here, and he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Notice this. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, but by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Notice the ministry and the message that Jesus had. In the 40 days after his resurrection, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God, speaking about the kingdom of God. Well, at this time, as Jesus was proclaiming and speaking the kingdom of God, there was a young Pharisee who was far from God, right? His name was Saul. And as this message of Jesus spread, uh, Saul wanted nothing to do with the followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, he went out of his way to hunt them down and to imprison them and to um, even have them executed. And so here at the time, the church, as this message of this kingdom of God began to spread, the greatest, one of the greatest hindrances to it was this guy, Saul. Like, you gotta look out for this guy. He is actively trying to destroy the church. He's actively hunting down followers of Jesus. And so Saul was a hindrance to the gospel. And what did God do? He met him on the road to Damascus. He appeared to him. He convicted him and he saved him. He transformed his heart. He transformed his life. And now, what do we have at the end of Saul's life or toward the end of his ministry, rather? Verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his expense, welcoming all who would come to him. And what was Saul doing? What was now Paul doing? The same thing that Jesus was doing. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Notice what has transpired since that first phrase. Now the gospel has traveled to every corner There are churches now meeting regularly all over the place. And now they're in Rome, the capital, the the central of uh, modern civilization and, and the authority and rule that was there. And there is Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God. Listen, I think, church, that we need to be encouraged by this this morning. I think we get discouraged by the many obstacles that we encounter as we seek to proclaim the kingdom of God. Do we not? There are so many things that are disheartening and discouraging to us. Many of us have prayed for loved ones, for family, for friends, for people that we care deeply about, that we would love to know the hope that's found in the gospel, the hope that is found in the kingdom of God. And there are so many obstacles that we come against. And so what I want to remind us of this morning from God's word is this, is that we see this picture that Paul, even in chains, even with the storm, even with the snake, that he was able to still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without hindrance. God made a way. He used even that. And we see this happening around us all the time. There's many examples that we could give, but I want to share just one. Uh, there's this pastor that I've been um, getting to know and, and, um, and have quite a bit of respect from over in Milwaukee. In fact, we've talked a couple times now about uh, having him come over and uh, do a class for us. Um, his name is Isa, and he's from uh, the country of Jordan. And um, he was born in into a Muslim family and came to know and heard the gospel and began to follow Jesus Christ. And he has now planted um, 
the uh, first um, pr- primarily Arabic church in the state of Wisconsin, and it is thriving. And you know, so many of us um, obviously were discouraged as churches shut down a couple of years ago in, in terms of our, not, not shut down in, in terms of they weren't meeting, but, but weren't able to meet and gather in person, and everything looked different about that. Well, one of the things that was so encouraging, Issa shared with me a couple times, is that when their church went online, what it actually gave them was this incredible platform that many, many Muslims were able to join into their services. And so here's this fresh church plant uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they are now live streaming their services, and from the safety of their homes, they're having literally thousands of Muslims joining in, and they have seen so many men and women that have come to know and believe in Jesus Christ as a result of their services having to go online. I mean, something they would have never seen. And now out of this, they're planting, I think it's like six or seven other um, churches specifically reaching for the Muslim people. And so one of the things that he's offered to do for us, and I'd love to do that here in the fall, is uh, to have a, a class he's actually put together, um, uh, a few-hour class that, that, that helps um, those of us who, who maybe have uh, someone uh, Muslim in our life that we want to be able to share the gospel with. He's like, how do you communicate? How do you tell um, uh, someone of, uh, with a Muslim faith about Jesus? And what does that look like? And how do you do that um, in a way? He is um, just such an example. And I just think there's so many other examples that we can look to where the obstacles or hindrances have come up and God has plowed right through those. And he's used um, people and circumstances and, and even like, like Paul, which was a hindrance, now became an instrument for the gospel to go forth. So I just wonder this morning, could you just maybe take stock of, is there somewhere around your sphere of influence? Is there a particular person or two or or maybe a situation that you're discouraged by and you see as a hindrance to the gospel? I think that one of the things that God would have for us this morning is this, is that we would have all confidence that God can remove, or sometimes he doesn't even remove it, he just uses it, he transforms it, every hindrance to the gospel. God made a way, and the gospel beginning with that group of uneducated, untrained, formally trained, they were trained by Jesus, uneducated, not formally trained, not with a ton of resources, not with a a super tight game plan or anything like that to share and proclaim the gospel which then spread to the world and is still impacting now millions and millions of people. We ourselves are the result of that, that he has removed the hindrances that would stand in the way in opposition to the kingdom of God being proclaimed. And listen, church, this is the message that we proclaim. We love the kingdom of God. That is our prayer. That is our hope for this time, for our lifetime. Jesus, as he taught his disciples to pray, he says, as earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's what Jesus was praying, and we want, we desire for that to happen here. We know that the kingdom of God will never fully be realized here until Jesus has returned and he's set up his kingdom and his throne. But until that day, we long for his appearing. We look for that day, and we trust and hope that God is building his kingdom and that he is working through his people to bring his kingdom here on earth. 
it is such an encouragement to see the way that God works through and against any hindrance that would come. Well, that's the confidence that we see. We see the confidence that uh, comes in knowing and understanding. The second thing I think that God has for us this morning is, is this, is that, that word there that's used that Paul says is that he proclaimed uh, teaching about Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And this is, um, this is what uh, I think we have here as we wrap up our study in Acts. It's this, with all boldness would we use every breath that God gives you to proclaim the gospel. With all confidence, know that God can remove every hindrance from the gospel to the gospel. And with all boldness, use every breath that God gives you to proclaim the gospel. One of the gifts that I think God has for us in his word is this example that was set for us by the Apostle Paul. We've said many times before he was just a guy. He was not a God, as he was sometimes assumed to be. Um, he was not... Um, uh, didn't have any superpowers or anything different than you or I have. He was just very faithful and very committed and very bold in his witness of the hope of the gospel. And he finished well. That's one of the things I love about this is you see Paul till his last breath, he is sharing and proclaiming, right? Two whole years, lived at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Uh, the assumption or kind of understanding that tradition, I said that he was released and then re-imprisoned. Well, the understanding is that in that re-imprisonment is when he penned um, some of his final epistles. And one of the last ones that we have of the Apostle Paul is um, his letter to Timothy, uh, second letter to Timothy. Um, it's uh, Second Timothy um, uh, is, is that, uh, that letter. And so um, in that, he writes about his end he knows that the end is drawing near, that his life is coming to a close, that soon he will be executed. And um, it's really interesting to read, now that we've spent this last nine months going through the book of Acts, you guys are all like Acts scholars now. You, you, uh, you, you should get little diplomas and we should you know, turn the tassel and everything. You now have like graduated from the book of Acts, okay? Well, now that you have, hopefully, as you now read through the epistles, you can read through them a little bit differently. Uh, you can have some context and some understanding and some of the places and some of the names maybe sound familiar to you. Let's look at this together. I'll put it on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 6. This is Paul in his second imprisonment writing to Timothy. And he says this. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He says, I've fought the fight, the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul, arriving at his end of his ministry there in Rome to the people, he recognizes and he sees that he has three things, fought the fight, the good fight, he has finished the race, and he has kept the faith. This is a picture of what it means to finish well. Paul was finishing well. He never wavered. He never moved from that. And with all boldness to the last breath that he had, he was willing to proclaim. He wanted to proclaim the good news that Jesus came, that men and women might be saved. And he was able to say that he fought the good fight, he finished the race, he kept the faith. And as a result of that, he says, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness 
which the Lord himself, the righteous judge, is going to give me. He's like, God's going to give me a crown for finishing well. But notice what he says, not only for me, but who? All who have loved his appearing. Listen, church, this is an encouragement for us as well. That in our uh, willingness to trust in God's plan and our willingness to follow him and to proclaim his gospel with boldness, that there is a reward that awaits those who have loved his appearing and long for him and look for him. And that's meant to be an encouragement for us. We've said many times before that these days are hard. These years are difficult. There is so much discouragement around us, and yet what he's saying is it is worth it. Don't waver. Don't pull up short. Don't stop. But keep fighting. Keep going. Keep running. Because there is a crown that awaits you. Do we love? Do we long for his appearing? Do we look for the day when he's going to come back again? The church has always been defined by this. Let's not grow weary of looking for that day. It was always an encouragement. They said, soon, very soon, Jesus is coming back. Church, this is meant to be for us an encouragement that it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be this week. And so let's live in light of the coming of our our Savior. Let's live as this, we don't know how many more breaths we have. Paul was encouraged by this. Notice, this is where you'll kind of see your your scholarly acts uh, understanding come out. As we continue in verse 9, he writes some kind of personal encouragement to Timothy and uh, kind of updates him on a few things. Notice what he says. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas was there. He's not there anymore. We know where Thessalonica is. We, we studied that. And then Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus, to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Remember, we saw Luke was on the ship. He was writing in that we, and so he's still there. He's in Rome with them. And notice he says, get Mark. Remember the falling out that Paul and Mark had, and and he said, no, I don't trust him. He can't come with us. He deserted us before. Now, notice what he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. They've reconciled, and now there's an appreciation for Mark, and, and he's matured and grown and been discipled. And then Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus. He's like, that's my favorite cloak. I left my cloak there. Bring me my cloak. I love it. And also the books, above all the parchments. Paul was a reader. He loved to read. He wanted his books. He didn't have his Kindle, right? He couldn't just download some new books. He's like, you got to bring me my books and all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Just a little warning for Timothy there. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me, strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What an incredible testimony that we have to follow in the example that Paul has set for us. Notice what he says here, even at the end. He says, he says that they all deserted me, but the Lord stood by me. The Lord strengthened me. 
so that the message might be fully proclaimed to the Gentiles. He noticed, he saw, notice the confidence that he had, the confidence that all the hindrances, all the people that deserted in that, that God was still there and he was still using him. But then with boldness, he was proclaiming so that all the Gentiles might hear it. And that he's going to bring him safely to that place in the heavenly kingdom and that God is going to receive all the glory for all that had been done. And so, church, if there's one thing that we can um, walk away from our study in Acts, if there's one thing that we can kind of hold on to, it's this, is that the gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel is going forth. The gospel is God's plan for rescuing humanity, to bring men, women, children back from their sinful state, back from the death that has come. And the promise is this, is that the gospel will go forth. God will save every whom he wills to save. It's available to all. He's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not all will, because not all will receive him. But he is sending his workers into the field. It says the labor is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers into the harvest. And so would we just be encouraged by this today, church, that, that God is, there's confidence in God removing any hindrance and that he is filling us with the boldness that we need to be able to proclaim. I trust and I hope that we are a church that is willing to proclaim, we are a people that is willing to proclaim this hope that we hold so dearly to. There's a crown of righteousness that awaits us as we long for and look for his appearing would we use every breath that God gives us in the same way that Paul did, that we would look at the storms and the circumstances and the, uh, the detours, the distractions, the other things that come up, that we would look and use them for opportunities to share the gospel. One of the things that we've said many times here before is that we don't need to pray for more opportunities to share the gospel. That's not a bad thing to pray. You can keep praying for that. But what I would encourage you to pray, even more than for more opportunities, is more boldness to use the opportunities that you have. If we look back on this last week or two weeks or month, I'm sure you can see and recognize places that you had opportunity for the gospel. The question is, in those opportunities, did you have the boldness to share the message of hope that God has given you? That is the prayer that I would have us pray all the more regularly. God, would you give us boldness to use the opportunities that have come? Paul didn't ever waste an opportunity that came. This is the example that he has set for us. And so, church, we can be encouraged. We can continue on. This is a whole lot less about, as we said at the beginning, life enhancement. It's a whole lot more about a call to ministry engagement. And I promise you this, as you engage in the ministry that God has called you to, as you set forth and take up the mantle that God has called us as a church for, that you will find God blessing and working and growing and maturing you in all these things. He has given you, he's equipped you with everything you need. He's gifted you uniquely for the ministry of the church and for the ministry of the gospel. And so would we, with confidence and boldness, serve our role and take up our part and be willing to share with all who will listen 
all who would come, right? He welcomed any who came, all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And Lord, you came that we might be reconciled and redeemed to you. God, you've worked on our behalf and you've brought us to a place of knowledge and understanding, God, of our need for you and for the free gift of salvation that you offer through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for the many, many examples of faithful men, faithful women that we have seen together in this powerful book or the way that the church of Jesus Christ began. God, this is your church. Lord, you are leading us. And so, Lord, we want to follow you. We pray that you would give us the confidence that we need, God, in your power and your ability to work. And God, I pray that you would fill us with your boldness to proclaim the message that you would have for us. God, I do. I ask for opportunities, certainly. Lord, we thank you for the many opportunities that you place in our path. But God, I pray just a special measure of boldness in the weeks to come. God, that we would never waver with the hope that we stand upon. God, we're so thankful for the work you've done in our hearts, Lord. We long to see that work done in others. And so, Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your boldness. God, that you would draw many to yourself. That you would save, that you would redeem. God, that you would use us as an instrument as workers in the harvest, the field of harvest, God, to share what it is that you're doing. God, would you build your kingdom here, right here in this body of believers God, would you establish your reign and your rule in our hearts? God, we long for your appearing when we would see you fully. God, I ask that you would do this in the power and name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.